if we were doing one for this episode, which we're not, my stuck in my head would be Megan. Uh, <laughs> which and rolled so hard. <laughs> Incredible. Perfect. No notes. Hello, welcome, and welcome back to Did You Do Your Homework, a pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas with popular media, doing our first, weirdly, crossover with our sister show, <laughs> Love Ya. I am here with my two beautiful, wonderful, amazing co-hosts, Pete and Marin, together for the first time. This, as I'm saying it, and don't cut this out, Pete, but as I am saying it, this is the it's very weird that we have never made you come on our show. Marin, you have, you've been on Did You Do Your Homework before. Yes. Yeah, that's true. We've yes. never forced Pete into watching uh, Rom-Com with us. Yeah, I, you know, for my sins, I edit your, your show, so therefore I don't need to watch the movie. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> yes, but see, now I have just talked myself into you, making Marin make you be a guest yes, on our show. Yes, you, you now have a mission, <gasps> I know. We can make him watch yes. Sleep Your Martha. It'd be great. <laughs> so we took a summer break hiatus that ended up becoming a fall break that ended up becoming an extended our lives are chaotic and we don't make any money off of this break Listen, but we summer, are back summer break is a state of mind and our state of mind lasted for about six months so you know here we are <laughs> uh we are back we own houses yeah, homeowning millennials, despite the fact that we have all eaten avocado toast, and we are ready to relaunch our shows, and we are going to do that with a best of 2022 extravaganza. The three of us have joined forces to uh, put together some of our favorite things from 2022, so we can start off 2023 on a positive note. Um, and, and we are uh, going. <laughs> and this episode would have come out much closer to the end of 2022, but that dang novel coronavirus, uh, I finally caught it, and then I gave it to Marin. So here we are, able to talk and again, able to think again, and feeling okay. Honestly, if there's anything more 2022 about that fact, I understand. <laughs> so, Pete. Uh, without further preamble, because we're all pretty sure that this one's going to run a little bit long, uh, why don't you kick us off with some of your favorite movies from 2022? Yeah. So the way we're going to do this is I'm going to give my top movies, uh, not necessarily top 10, although I might have 10. Uh, and then Marin's going to give her top movies, and then Martha's going to give her top movies. Then we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to do it all again, but with things that aren't movies. Um, that's the road ahead. Up until three minutes ago, I did not have a ranked list, like an ordered list. I just had my favorite movies, and I happened to have ten of them on it. And in the course of setting this episode up, I was able to quickly rank these movies. And so this is an imperfect ranking. It's it's pretty dang close, but if I were to spend some more time thinking about it, I might shift something up or down or what have you. So uh, starting from the bottom, which is where all ranked lists should start, uh, and also starting near the beginning of this year is Matt Reeves' The Batman, a movie that we just rewatched uh, two nights ago. Um, and it still holds up and slaps, even if it's about half an hour too long. 
then I had 3,000 Years of Longing, uh, George Miller's movie that came out over the summer starring Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba. Uh, then I had Prey, the Predator prequel, um, which I don't know why Hulu just left money on the ground, but they did not release it in theaters. So just astonishing. That actually, that actually shocks me less than a movie we're going to talk about later. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I know what movie you're talking about, and I agree, but Prey would have been a blast to watch in a theater. Uh, it would, it, but I think I don't think that's on Hulu. I think it's on the production, whoever the production studio was for fair. that. They, yeah, that's, that's totally fair. Um, uh, then I have uh, The Northman, uh, Dave Eggers, uh, entirely... I don't even know if it's psychedelic, but hallucinatory. That's the word I'm looking for. Hallucinatory uh, Viking movie. Um, then I have Avatar 2, The Way of Water, uh, also known as Avatars with a dollar sign. Um, and uh, that movie was a lot of fun, and I encourage you to go see it in a theater on the biggest screen you possibly can. And if you can see... I need see... you to pause. Yeah. I need you to pause right here. Yeah. Because, all right, Avatar is not a movie that I have seen. Avatar is not a movie that I intend to see. No, no, no. You're talking about the new Avatar? Yes, Because we saw the I, old Avatar. We did an episode on, I was gonna on say, the old Avatar. I saw the first Avatar in theaters and then also went on record on this podcast. Um, <laughs> yes. As having watched again. But you are telling me that a movie that I have heard commonly from people has about two hours of wasted time before you get to the good stuff. You are putting that above... Two of the best action films that I have seen in the last five years or so. Which this I'm is gonna a decision you want to make? Say that's the Northman sure? and Prey. Correct. You you sure you want to do this? Yes, because it's not two hours of chance. wasted time. It's not two hours of wasted time. It's one hour of wasted time. <laughs> and then one hour of swimming in a great blue alien ocean with Jim Cameron holding your hand and showing you all the cool alien underwater creatures and then you have a jim cameron action set piece which is like the best action set piece of the year maybe i really should i really should be used to the fact at this point that you base 98 percent of your feelings about stuff on vibes but <laughs> oh yeah no avatar just... is 100 percent a vibes movie what's the plot i don't know it's basically <clears throat> the same plot as the first movie like there's no plot who cares uh, but it's about I'm just family saying, and like whale friends. I, you're on the record right now, and I'm giving you a chance to revise the record. Yeah, I'm. I will. I will double down on this. I loved the Northman. I loved Prey. I I'm gonna give it to Big Jim on this one, partly because this movie costs like a billion dollars and is currently making two billion dollars, and it looks unlike any other movie out there so um um i'll give i'll give the props to it um okay also you a noted moby dick fan really need to see second avatar absolutely uh, not but okay yeah you're the the last hour you're just gonna be like oh great we're doing moby dick fantastic so that's that's my push for you I truly hate that that's the first thing that somebody has said about this movie that made me want to go see it. <laughs> <laughs> They're whaling space whales. Come on. 
Uh, Get to your next pick so that we can fight again. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, my next pick is the Fablemans, which we have already skirmished about over Twitter and texts. Uh, Fablemans okay. is Steven Spielberg's autobiographical yada, yada, yada. So many of these movies, I am not stopping you because we are going to talk about them again later some more. This one, I am going to stop you so that we can talk about it a little bit because it is not on my list. It is not anywhere near my list. And I, so I want to preface this by saying I go into every movie wanting to like it. Mm -hmm. Like my default for every movie, especially one that I go see in the theater is this is a three-star movie before I have even like before the credits have rolled. Right. To earn less than three, they have to work to, to, to diminish. Correct. And I love Stevie Spiels. Big, big fan of the Spielberg. This movie <laughs> left me so cold and I, I wanted to like it very, very much. And I just could not get on board. Um, so please tell me why this movie spoke to you. So I, I'm, I'm, Partly I'm curious what your critique of it is, because I will fully admit that it's a very shaggy movie. It's a very vignette movie. Um, and I sort of just sunk into it and, like, let each vignette sort of carry me away. I left each vignette really enjoying what I had just seen, or being like, if I didn't, you know, enjoy it, I was still like, oh, that was emotionally effective, or, you know, visually interesting. Um, I... I think at the end, though, it was, to, to me, it was a well-told family drama that wasn't a cut and paste, like, it wasn't a cookie-cutter thing. It felt very individual and very, and because of that individuality, like, very real. Uh, no surprise. Basically autobiographical. But then the last, like, 20 minutes of the movie really sank their claws into me. Um when he is doing the high school, like, the beach party movie, and then the reaction to that and, and like, his confrontation with his bully uh, afterwards, I thought that was an incredible and an interesting scene and really sort of, it at no point did that scene go the direction I think it was going to go, and I really enjoyed how it played out. Uh, and then the last five minutes with David Lynch um, and the amazing camera joke at the very end i left on such a high note uh so i i was i was blown away by the performances i was blown away by the last 20 minutes i was fully blown away by the last five minutes and by the last 15 seconds um and all that just culminated into a movie that like added up to a, a movie that was very shaggy but which i thoroughly enjoyed well, and going back to vibes, I feel like because I am someone who normally this movie would not, this movie does not tick my boxes. I am not normally one to, I'm not, like, I will go on record and say that, like, a vignette buildings Roman is not my genre of choice. <laughs> um, and I am normally, I will also go on record as someone who, I'm pretty vocal about believing that subtlety and nuance are often overvalued. Um, and I think this is a place where it was deployed well. And so I, I walked into this movie with a little bit of like, oh, it's a Steven Spielberg movie. I'm going to like it. It's a, and I, I think the trailer, well, I knew a little bit from the earlier reviews, but the trailer was a little misleading. It, it kind of gave you the vibes of, 
oh, this is going to be about a young boy who discovers his art. And that was not the movie the at all. The power of cinema. Yeah, and that was not the movie at all. And um, But I think that the performances and how grounded it felt, as someone for whom this type of movie would not normally appeal to me whatsoever, um, I think it really worked. And... I think it worked because on one hand, it's funny because on paper, the plot is basically like a bad literary novel. (laughs) Um, But I think it worked because the performances were so grounded. Everything felt so authentic. You you left feeling like you you met these people. You spent time with them. And I, I think that the Spielberg key here is that these all felt, for all their flaws, like good people. Mm, there were no and villains. There were no villains. And I feel like so often in a drama that essentially boils down to an emotional affair and a divorce. I feel like so often that story gets told in in less shades of gray than we were here. And honestly, not even shades of gray. But overwhelmingly, these are good people who are trying their best. Um, and that I found really endearing. I, I just found all the, the Fableman folks endearing and I just wanted to spend time with them. Um, so it's kind of funny cause yeah, we walked into it with exact, like this, this movie much more ticks Pete's boxes than mine, but I think we both left and I, I would echo what Pete said about once I kind of surrendered to what this movie was doing you just get swept along um but i i actually i should say i came in with the opposite tack of you martha where i came in thinking like oh okay like on one hand this could be a fun like steven spielberg loves movies don't we all love movies and you know i had to change my mindset after reading the initial reviews and and bring myself in with an open mind because this is not normally the type of movie that i love um, but I didn't. I, I truly am glad that it worked for you guys, and I'm glad that it seems to be working for a lot of people. I am always happy to be in the minority with something, but I, I found it weirdly unspecific. Hmm. Like, if if this was supposed to be sort of a memoir type movie about Spielberg, I did not feel like I left it with a greater understanding of who he is as a person, who he is as a filmmaker. Um, I thought it was truly wild that, well, actually I'm going to back up because the two scenes that I really loved, like the two sequences that really worked for me are after the opening, when he is recreating the train crash scene as a little boy. And then Pete, the same scene that you're talking about, like the whole sequence with him at the high school in California. Like, those two sequences I felt were um, interesting and told me something about the character and also told me something about why the medium of film speaks to him, which I thought was incredibly lacking through the rest of the movie. Like, it is wild to me that we only see him watch two movies through the whole thing. and. 
I for a movie that is about a a child like a filmmaker like an aspiring and growing filmmaker I did not feel like I understood what it was about making movies that spoke to him like why that was important to him and it's kind of too big a part of the movie for me to not get that from the storytelling. So I would um, push back on a couple things. One, one, I, I would push back and I, I don't think the central tenet of this movie is about him developing as a filmmaker. I, I think it's about this family unit. Um, and so I think that I there was disagree maybe one- wildly. I think the Judd Hirsch scene in the middle is like the thesis of the film. And also, that was very clunky filmmaking, which was weird from Spielberg to have Judd Hirsch walk in, tell you what the movie is about, and then leave. Like, oh, I, okay. I love that scene. <laughs> cool. Judd, Judd Hirsch was just down up to 10,000. But I, I would say this movie is, is more about how the dynamic between his parents changes and plays out, and how each of them in their lives have in some ways, represent um, different ways they've integrated their creativity and, you know, kind of different ways they see the world and how that filters down within the family and how the family unit changes. And I would also say that where we mostly see him using film and where we see him connecting to film is actually how he keeps himself at a distance from the dynamic of his family which is changing with you know his parents ultimate divorce but i feel like that's you see him so often with just a camera in his hand there's there's a scene where 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 they're where where the, the parents are announcing that they're getting divorced and there's a shot where you see him sammy fableman looking at himself filming the scene and I thought that was such a wild and unspielbergian sort of visual that also really captured, like, that captured this, uh, like, the, the spirit of the movie tremendously, where he uses the medium of film to process the world around him. Like, he's, he's dealing with this, he's in a scene that he doesn't want to be in. So how does he deal with it? Well, he thinks about filming it. He thinks about how he would frame it and shoot it and all the rest of it. Uh, and that helps him sort of put a remove. And that does track, like, Spielberg I, I himself wanted... have said, like, I've gone to therapy once, and uh, making movies is my therapy. It's like, uh, Well, yeah. and I wanted, I think I wanted more of that. Like, I wanted more of that kind of magical filmmaking. Mm. Also, I will be very honest with you guys. I think a big reason that this movie did not work for me is because I did not empathize with Michelle Williams' character. I thought uh... her performance was great, and I thought the <laughs> character was written horribly for Mark? whatever for whatever spielberg wanted me to get from that character i did not martin is giving me a face um, which is very funny because she is exactly the kind of character that i would have imagined martin would fully not empathize or give any shoots about whatsoever <laughs> well and this let me just let me just finish my thought here because i've yeah. been i have been giving this a lot of thought because yeah. again i wanted to like this movie the character is presenting as somebody who is like creatively oppressed, somebody who is tied down by the time that she lives in, by having a family. Like 
I, I feel like the movie sort of intends for me to look at her character as somebody who um, made the choices that were expected of her and because of that now ends up being like very creatively stifled. The problem is that the film does not bear that out. Paul Dano's character is never shown to be anything other than supportive of her, and I was not quite sure why I was supposed to think that she had lost out on all of these opportunities or what have you um, for anything other than her own choices. I think part of it is... is the material is was just not the there setting. for me to feel... Well, like she was anything other than the product of decisions that she had made. I think there's a strong, like, you know, part of it is the setting. Like she is a mother in the 1950s and a housewife. So making decisions that would lead to her being a concert pianist would require a lot more breaking with expectation than maybe she was willing to do. But it, it would be a much harder move than someone now doing it you know well and i think even part of what even think the movie i don't even think the movie tells me that she wanted to make those decisions and chose not to like the there's a conversation that sammy has with one of his sisters who they're being interchangeable is another issue that i had with the movie um but when she says that like dad has always been her biggest supporter so like what am i supposed to do with that well, I I think what the movie is saying, and I I think part of what makes it feel authentic is that you know at no point is the movie saying that Paul Dano is preventing her from having this career, and I think that the movie is making the point that they love and respect each other very much, but that they look at the world differently and ultimately that's incompatible in a way that's incompatible. And I, I think that the movie makes a very strong argument. And I, in fact, I think Michelle Williams character even says Mitzi even says that she loves Paul Dano's character very much. And so I don't think we're led to believe that she made the choices she did out of some type of oppression, but rather that she really loved Paul Dano, and so she made the commitment to him, and these commitments conflict, and she's grappling with that, and in the 1960s, she doesn't really have space to do both, but I, I think that part of what the movie is saying is that she made that choice out of love, and... Well, I, I could also fully see that in 1960 Arizona, there's no room for her to be, you know, uh, a concert pianist. If they had stayed in New York, maybe something else, but... Yeah. Then I'm not ultimately sure how I'm supposed to take her decision to leave. If all I, of that is true... I, I think it's that she realized she's, like, she's having an I emotional think... affair with, with Seth Rogen and actually loves him more. And see, that is a humans, philosophical issue that I have. Humans um, are I messy. Think, it's like, I, I think the movie is like saying humans are messy and, and that's sort of part That's of true. It. I also think that you guys right now are doing a lot of work for the movie. Hmm. I don't see a lot of the stuff that you guys are talking about. I just was not in my reading of the movie. 
Hmm. Interesting. And the last that I have um, is that when uh, Sammy has the conversation with director, Western director guy, uh, um, David Lynch. Yes. <laughs> director, director, <laughs> he, David Lynch. <laughs> when he says, yeah. um, John Ford, a horizon, Ford, yeah. a horizon on the bottom is interesting. A horizon on the top is interesting. A horizon in the middle is boring. I was like, oh, this movie is a middle horizon. No. <laughs> was, uh, no. Was ultimately <laughs> was ultimately how I felt about it. It felt very it did not feel interesting in the way that I know Spielberg to be interesting. As much as I disagree, that is a good two and a half star review, like capsule review that I disagree with, but I I, I take my hat off to you for that that review. I will say I thought it was beautifully constructed. Like his, the craft is there. Absolutely. Um, I thought many of the performances were very, very good. I just, the for material the first wasn't there five for me. minutes. I was thinking like, Oh, who, who shot this? And then during the remake of the train scene, uh, you have this beautiful bloom of blue light coming through. And I'm like, Oh, it's Janusz. Obviously it's Janusz. Uh, because <laughs> it, no one else shoots movies like that. And he's been working with Spielberg since Schindler's list. So, uh, and at the end, he finally gets to film a bunch of pools of water on the ground, which he loves doing. So, and then it's like, yeah, who did the score for this movie? Oh, a little guy named John Williams. Cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, so of course it's like a masterpiece of, of filmmaking. So yeah, I did, um, not, I did not regret my time watching it. I wanted more. Um, I think there was a more interesting movie in there for me personally. Sure. And I truly am glad that it worked for as many people that it did. And the shagginess is not what bothered me about it. Mm -hmm. Um, There are certainly shaggy movies out there that I love. Although ever since we fought about licorice pizza, whenever you describe something (laughs) as a hangout movie, I automatically kind of feel my teeth set on edge. I would not describe this as a hangout movie is the thing. Like it's shaggy and it's vignette, but it's not a hangout movie. Um... Because it has, like, an actual arc to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will say, I, my, my last comment on this is I could not get over the fact when they were staying in the rental home in Northern California, the beautiful arts and crafts rental home that I believe all of us would give an arm and a leg for. Uh, and they're like, oh, this dump that we're staying in, can't wait till we get to our real home instead of this trash pit uh, with the beautiful woodworking all over and the original furniture, all of which looks gorgeous. <laughs> and the stained glass, yeah. And the stained glass, yeah. It's like, oh, right, the 60s were a horrible time for aesthetics. Cool. <laughs> uh, all right, does that seem like enough Fableman's talk? I, it is. It's, it's everything that I felt moved to say. Cool. Yeah, no, this was good, because uh, we'd been sort of seeing this up for a couple weeks on Twitter. Uh, and I know that your sister Lizzie, past and possibly future guest, had similar feelings as you did. Uh, so there, there was a good little back and forth there. Um, yeah, so glad we got to hash this out on air. Uh, going back to my list to wrap it up, I've got four left. Um, so, uh, next up is Nope, uh, Jordan Peele's movie, uh, indebted a lot to Spielberg, uh, specifically Jaws. Uh, just a lot of fun. Uh, next Actually, up is... so, wait, 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 wait. Um, so Nope felt just outside of my top 10. Um, mm-hmm. I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I know that Jaws is the one that people are talking about it in the same breath as. Um, I thought it was very War of the Worlds-y. Um, mm. Probably no one's I talking think... about War of the Worlds because everyone has forgotten about that movie. 
But it's such a good movie. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I saw it in theaters, and I haven't seen it since. And I keep every couple months, I'm like, should I rewatch that movie? <laughs> no, it's so good. <laughs> um, no, I think Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer are stars. Um, I thought the Steven Ewan stuff was great. Um, yeah, it really worked for me. I liked it more than Us, and not as much as Get Out. I liked Us more than most people, and I don't know where my ranking is other than Get Out is still number one. Uh, Us and this are just so different. I, yeah. They're very close. Yeah, to I thought, yeah, I thought this was more focused than Us. Yeah. Um, Th- this was also grappling with a lot of interest. Like, Us was a little more, f- well, Us was a little more focused in what it was trying to say, and this one felt a little, like, scattershot in what it was I'm not sure. I'm not <laughs> I'm not quite sure us knows what it wants to say, but we're not we're not litigating yeah, us right, right now. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> oh, I, I guess I'd say like us is a very straightforward critique of capitalism, kind of. Whereas this is like it's it's sort of like hitting a few different ideas, and I was really into all of them. Um, and I was okay that it was a little scattershot in in its in the ideas it was trying to touch on. Um, but yeah. Anyway, we we both thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, Marin has not seen it. <laughs> nope. Uh, Martin has not know. seen any Jordan Peele movie. I don't know that I would recommend this to Marin. I would definitely recommend Get Out to her, but I don't know about this one. Yeah, I keep going back and forth on whether whether this is a like this would be better than Get Out uh, for Marin, but um, yeah, Get Out's a perfect movie. I don't disagree. Uh, next up on my list is Banshees of Inishirin. I think we might all have this on our list. I maybe nope. forgot to write it down. Marin, but, did, eh. Marin, did you like this one too? Yeah, for the most part. It was no in Bruges, but... Right, of, of your Martin McDonough's, this is not your top, yeah. but you enjoyed it well enough. Yeah. yeah. It certainly washed the taste of three billboards out of my mouth. <laughs> uh, I don't think either of us saw three billboards, which was a good choice for us. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, you know, Banshees is just some sweet boys trying to figure themselves out, cutting their fingers off, killing donkeys. Real sad. Uh, my number two, and I know this is on all of our lists, is Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, uh, which was just a great time, and thankfully we got to see it in the three days that this was available in the movie theater. Um, which was seeing this with a crowd was delightful, and I'm very upset with Netflix for its distribution decisions on it. But the movie itself was great, and I kind of want to watch it again, yeah, because uh, it'd be a lot of fun. Uh, and my number one, and I think this is my number one movie of the year, uh, is Everything Everywhere All at Once by the Daniels, starring Michelle Yeoh. Um, it's the weirdest movie, and yet I've seen it three times now, and all three times I end up crying and cheering and just having a great time. Uh, the scene... I think it's weird. It's you don't think this movie forward. is weird? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I guess we would have to define weird. <laughs> right. I mean, this, this movie is objectively weird. It's eminently easy to follow. Like, it's not confusing, but it's weird. Dude eats chapstick. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> um, 
There's also a thing called Rakakuni. Rakakuni's the best part! <laughs> uh, speaking of times that I cry during that movie. Um, yeah, no, it's it's a great movie. It has, it does a, like, the power of love message, but it does it so well. It's It's also such an earnest movie, and earnestness sometimes can rub me the wrong way, uh, but this time I was just fully on board for it. Uh, and yeah, it, it came out in April and I've already seen it three times, which I don't watch movies that frequently. Like, usually I need a longer gap in between rewatches, so the fact that I've already seen it three times is is everything you need to know about my thoughts on it. I have only seen it the one time, but I don't think I have ever stopped thinking about it. Yeah, it definitely lives rent-free in my head. Yeah. Uh, the scene, the the bits with the rocks, I. <laughs> so yeah, when it, I... I don't think I. I think that everything everywhere all at once is both the hardest I have laughed and the hardest I have cried in the theaters this year or yeah. last year. Yeah. Um. The like, in another universe, I would be happy doing taxes and laundry with you. I'm just like, oh great, yep, just weeping. It's fantastic. Uh, the scene with the rocks. When I saw it in theaters, the next theater over was playing The Northman. Um, and so it was dead silent, except for the sounds of screaming from the next theater, <laughs> <laughs> which kind of worked really well. <laughs> I was going to say, that might be the optimal situation in which to watch yeah. both of these movies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. And that that is my top 10. I think it's actually 10. That's my top 10 movies of 2022. Um, Fantastic. The only other comment I will make is that I still have not seen the Batman because actually I I, I have no excuse at this point because I have definitely watched longer movies than that this year. I just have don't have the energy for it. That's fair. It's three hours long. It's a lot of fun. It's on HBO Max. If you have that subscription, go watch it for free Uh, and three hours. Yeah, I will eventually. Um, I just honestly, everything I heard about it, I was just like, I'm tired, guys. <laughs> I'm uh, just my... so tired. Also, I've spent most of this year being mad at DC Film Studios. So eminently reasonable. There is, there is that. Yeah, uh, I, I just think of this as not a DC film movie. It's a it's a Batman movie with no connection whatsoever. Uh, I I enjoy that it has both hopeful shoe in for best actor Colin Farrell in it, and also possible nominee for best supporting actor Paul Dano in it. Um, that's just kind of fun. <laughs> Yeah, to, uh, yeah, 2022, truly the Paul Dano and Colin Farrell Lassance. Colin Farrell was in three movies, and I haven't seen After Gang, but I heard he's incredible in it. So that's three for three for him. Yeah. Yes, I would like to watch that movie very much. I feel that it will be right up my alley. Yeah, same. Marin, would you like to share your top movies of last year with us? Sure. So uh, I realized a couple things. Uh, one, apparently, I'm just the chaos muppet here, and I did not order my list. That's <laughs> um, okay. I love a ranked list. It's a problem. Uh, two, apparently, I I feel like I have a lot of movies on here where I was like, that was a good time, but uh, not a lot where I was like, ah, yes, this is a capital G, capital M, good movie. <laughs> Um, so I feel like, yeah, a lot of the best movies I saw this year did not come out in 2022. Um, I think it, it was a year they did not make film, films for Marins, I think, as much. Um, That's fair. Yeah. So, and I'll, I'll strike off, I feel like Pete and I, I think we have four overlapping, 
Sel and I will talk about things where we don't overlap. So aforementioned the the Fablemans, the Banshees, uh, Glass Onion, and I did enjoy everything everywhere. I feel like I enjoyed it. It was not the transcendent experience for me that I feel like it was for many others. Um, I'm a little surprised to find it on your list because I remember I after watching it, you you were yeah n- not. Not transcendent was how, <laughs> how I would describe your reaction to it. Well, yeah, most of this list is movies where I was like, that was fun. I enjoyed myself. Um, so, yeah, so those are the crossovers. So things that I had that... Can I, can I pause this real quick? I'm yeah. actually, I'm really interested. So I would not have, um, I would not have guessed that Banshees of Inisherin would be up your alley. Um... Martin because... Loki loves Martin McDonough, though. Oh yeah, I'm I'm a big okay. Martin McDonough stan. Um, from well, back and I'll, in the, I'll tell yeah back I'll in tell the, you. Pil- the Pillow Man era. Well, and I mean, In Bruges is flawless, yeah, a perfect film. <laughs> a perfect film. <laughs> um, but mostly it it is kind of a mean movie, and I guess I don't really associate that as being something that's in your wheelhouse. So, so apparently, I, am I have two exceptions to mean movies. <laughs> Uh, and apparently they are Martin McDonough and Ianucci. <laughs> apparently, All right. apparently, Fair I, I just uh, I don't mind mean things when it comes from either of them. Right, get get a guy who can write dialogue real good, and you're okay with everyone <laughs> being mean to each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we fairly recently rewatched Death of Stalin, another perfect movie. Oh my god. Uh, one, you mean one of the funniest movies ever made? Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, and I, I know I do every time I. Because I think I've probably watched Death of Stalin like three times now. And every time I'm like, I, this is like, again, like the Fablemans. On paper, I should not like this. But oh my god, I love this. I mean, like the movie, even if the movie wasn't good, when Jason Isaacs walks in and throws off his cloak and <laughs> oh it's god. like, Zukov! It's like, ah, oh, great, this movie is now five out of five. <laughs> that that scene lives rent-free in my life. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, yes. So good. Yeah, I, I can't explain why. Um, maybe it's just because I... I mean, the same reason, I guess the other like, weird movie exception that I love that I have no right to love is the piano. Uh, and I I guess my only explanation is when I get exposed to things young enough, apparently I just go for it. And uh, yeah, Martin McDonough, I remember reading The Pillow Man in high school. And um, I actually got to see um, The Lieutenant of Inishmore on Broadway when I was in high school. Um, and I presume it was early enough of its run, but I think I actually got to see Domo Gleason and Allison Pill in it. Um, I would love to find that play. I can't believe my parents have slowly been giving me boxes and boxes of. I'm such a hoarder. They've been giving me boxes and boxes, and I accumulate crap. And I found, I found a playbill from uh, Les Mis we went to, but I'm like, God, I would love to find that Lieutenant Inishmore playbill. Um. Yeah, well, and I only mean this. I only mean this with the joy of finding that my very good friend Marin loved a movie that I also loved. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, and I will say, I mean, it didn't work for me as much as In Bruges. I think, I think it was a little. I was very mad at Brendan Gleeson most of the time, um, and so I think. I think I enjoy watching In Bruges more, but structurally, Banshees might is like is a better film. 
But if you're like, yo, yeah, which I... one do you want to watch right now? I'm like, oh, in Bruges, obviously. I have a theory about that. Um, I think that in Bruges is more fun because the characters are not real people, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, they're yeah. such characters. Having, having the characters be hitmen automatically puts everything at sort of a like a hitch that is not real in the way that banshees feels real yeah yeah so everything that the characters do in banshees automatically feels way more unhinged because it's like oh these are people that are more like like these are just like sad people in a small town why are you cutting your fingers right. off yeah <laughs> exactly yeah but i do think that banshees is, is a more mature version of what he was doing in in bruges mm-hmm. um but yeah, yeah i think i think in bruges is more fun yeah yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, one of them has like various shootouts, and Ray finds cursing his wife out <laughs> as as an inanimate effing object. Uh. There were, I mean, Banshees like it's, it's really is like everything people say they're gonna do, they do, and it's like, oh, you just you just did the thing, okay? Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, that's what we're here to do. Okay. Like, oh, oh no! <laughs> Don't do that thing. Yeah. yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> Yeah, and I think, yeah, for me, it just, Brendan Gleeson's character was just so, like, needlessly unhinged that it, it did. I do like, wonder if. from my enjoyment a bit, but. I do wonder if I revisit this movie 10 years from now, I will feel more sympathetic towards his character. I wonder if I am just not in that place. I also think that I have had, like, I have been in. Colin Farrell's position more frequently in that I have had people be like we can't be friends anymore and I've just been like but but why <laughs> I um I was vague I was like I intellectually understood where Brendan Gleeson was coming from and then I'm like but stop cutting your fingers off that's an insane reaction yeah uh, well yes but yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah, uh, so my movies that I think nobody else had, and again, this is a little bit of a these were these are not these like, brought you great. Joy. Yeah, these are not great cinema by any stretch of the imagination. But I really much enjoyed the outfit, um, which was a was a little mob boss drama, um, ostensibly set in Chicago, starring Mark Rylance. <laughs> yeah, um, it oh, was Mark just... Rylance had a Mark Rylance had a year too. He yeah. did, he did. Um, but it was just a nice adult drama with, I think, a clever script and good performances. And uh, I enjoyed it very much. You love to see it, honestly. Yeah. Right? I know, that's part of it, too, is just the novel novelty of, I think we finished it, we looked at each other, and we were like, that was a adult drama for adults. Yeah. Like, Oh, my other thought was like, oh, that was a play that we just saw. Yeah, but. yeah, it's almost like a play. So yeah, I think it was just like a tight, nice, like well, well, not a nice movie, but like well crafted, well scripted. Yeah, the outfit. Enjoyed it very much. I'm, I'm putting it on my watch list right now. Yeah, I do believe it is on the Amazon Prime. Fabulous. Um, another one I enjoyed, uh, See How They Run, um, which is a, is a pastiche of the mousetrap, 
Uh, fun fact, a movie I started a production of in high school. So there might have been a little nostalgia of uh, my, my mousetrap days. Um, I was the old woman who got killed off first. It was very fun. Um, but yeah, I thought that it was, it was very fun. A little bit of a, a twisty, fun, almost like a cozy mystery vibe. Um, cozy British mystery vibe. I that was another one that I wanted to like more than I did, but I thought that everybody in it was doing a very good job. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think Charissa Ronan does a great job. Uh, Sam Rockwell's accent could probably have used a little work. He was um, probably the weakest link, and he was still having fun. Yeah, he was having fun. I love to see a Ruth Wilson moment. Um, I was here for Ruth Wilson. Um, Adrian Brody was having a great time. Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, they run. I enjoyed myself. Uh, another one, I guess on cozy, my uh, cozy British movies theme, um, Mr. Malcolm's List. I've never heard of this movie. Um, so, so Maren, was this based off of a book that had existed previously? Yes. Okay. So I could not figure this out. Yes, so it has a little bit of an interesting provenance. Okay, so there's this book. This, like, not very hyped. Speaking as someone who's very steeped in the romance genre, this book was not very hyped within the romance genre. It was kind of a quiet release. I don't know. I don't remember anybody talking about this book. But there was a book. Refinery29, the website, in, like, 2019 put together a 10 minute film version of the opening of this film. Um, and they left it on a, we will finish it this, this one day. Um, so they like put this out as like a short on YouTube and it was a sensation. Like it got like millions of views, I think. Um, and it starred, uh, Gemma Chan. Um, who they were not able to get for the movie because by the time they actually <laughs> filmed it, she had gotten way bigger. Um, but yeah, and then I think actually the rest of the cast, like Frida Printo, who they got back um, for this movie, so they like started making this movie with Gemma Chan, couldn't you get Gemma Chan back. <laughs> so then they went back and they remade. Because yeah, I think production got delayed due to the pandemic, and then Gemma. Chan couldn't come back because she became Gemma Chan and, you know, went off and did Don't Worry Darling, which I saw last night and have a lot of thoughts about, by the way. <laughs> not, um, not I haven't on your seen list. it yet, but I also <laughs> feel like I will have a lot of thoughts once I yeah. do. Yeah, text, text me when you, after you're done watching it, we, we can talk. A um, lot, lot of thoughts. Uh, so, yeah. So, but yeah, it's just a fun Austin-inspired um, little cute rom-com. Um, and it's yeah, all... honestly, my first thought, because I did see a trailer for it, and I don't remember yeah. where I saw that, but my first thought was that it just looked like, oh, somebody wants to make Bridgerton money. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's definitely got that vibe. So um, I, kind of, I kind of dismissed it, because I was like, this just looks like somebody trying to capitalize on Bridgerton success. Yeah, and it's nothing earth chattering, um, but it's fun. Freya Pinto does a great job. She's got great chemistry. I do with like the her. Lead who the lead male whose name I forgot. Um, yeah, 
was a lot of fun. It was a good time. It was a good way to spend an hour and a half. Love it. Love an oh man, love a ninety minute movie. <laughs> yeah, or at least I'm pretty no sure it was ninety minutes. Sorry, I should have actually looked. I should actually substantiate that claim, but I can't imagine it did not drag. I'll put it that way. Fair enough. Well, oh, and that oops. is ultimately okay. It is closer to two hours. Shoot, that's fine. Length is only a problem if you're not having fun. Yeah, and I had fun. Um, there was another. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a good time. Good time was had by all. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and the last one I had on the list was The Woman King, which we just watched a few nights ago. And again, on my theme of was good time. I had fun. Yeah, was- I want to see this one. I want to see this one very very badly. Uh, that I have not seen it yet is something I have no excuse for. Um, it was really I good, and excited. I want them to make more movies like this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yeah, there's Martin's list of had a good time. I could probably put an honorable mention, probably doesn't quite make it, but I could probably put an honorable mention of Bullet Train, a movie that I seem to be the only one who enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just watched Ambulance the other night. So yes! I yes! <laughs> <laughs> In this house, we stand for ambu- Ambulance. <laughs> ambulance. You gotta capitalize that Please. L-A when you say the word. <laughs> I am... I am quite certain that when I get around to Bullet Train, I will enjoy it very, very deeply. Yeah, it was. It I, was a great time. I enjoyed Ambulance a lot more than Bullet Train. Yeah, you were you were a little. You had less fun with Bullet Train. Yeah, uh, you you did not ride the train quite so fast as I did. Right. But I definitely jumped in that stolen ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal doesn't get enough credit for how hard he commits to literally everything. Yes, agreed. (laughs) He's so good. Uh, Marin, I'm noticing, and and I'm only bringing this up because it is on Martha's list. Uh, You saw Prey with me, right? Oh, yeah. And it did not make your list? I enjoy Prey. It's okay if it's not on your list. I'm just curious. Yeah, I guess I didn't, it didn't like stand out to me in the same way, but I enjoyed it. Mm Mm-hmm. You'd probably be an honorable mention there with, with the bullet trains. All right. Well, is it with, with that segue, yeah, Martha, what is your... And I've, I've already spoiled and... one, but I think you self-spoiled it. Oh, uh. yeah. So, <laughs> yes. Uh, likewise, I have a top 10. I'm going to start with 10 and work my way down from the bottom. Uh, my number 10 is a movie that debuted on Shudder called Watcher. Uh, it is Chloe Okuno's uh, debut film and stars a woman named Micah Monroe, who was in It Follows and is mm. just delightful. Uh, every frame of this movie gave me anxiety. <laughs> it is about a woman <laughs> who live who moves to, I think it's Romania. Um, but she moves there with her husband who gets, or she yeah, moves to Bucharest. Uh, because her husband gets a job there and she doesn't speak the language and is doesn't have a job and is just kind of in her apartment all day by herself um, and strikes up a friendship with a neighbor um, down the hall. And while all of her life is happening, there is a serial killer who is killing women uh, around the apartment building that she lives in with her husband. Mm. And she starts to notice that there's a man in the apartment building across the street from her that she thinks is watching her. 
and she starts to see him in other places and no one believes her that this is happening. Um, like I said, every frame of this movie gave me anxiety. It was one of the most satisfying uh, and anxiety-inducing um, movies that I watched all year, and I just thought it was very, very perfectly done. Um, and I don't... I One of the reasons I put it on my list is because I have not heard a lot of people talking about it, probably because it was a Shudder exclusive. Yeah. Um, so if you're not already tapped into the horror world, I think you probably missed out on it and I, I thought it was very good i am deeply tapped into movies and i've never heard of this movie um yeah it it based on your synopsis bit of a weird rear window vibes yes situation okay, very cool. very much so very cool. much so um uh number nine on my list is barbarian <laughs> another <laughs> that one I another have horror <laughs> oh yes um it's it is one of those where I don't even want to talk about it because truly the less anybody knows before watching it, the better. Um, but no, it's great. It is three very distinct acts. Um, the first two acts, I think, are very, very strong. The third act is also very entertaining, but a little bit more expected. There, there does become a point in the movie when you're like, oh, I know what is going on. Like, mm -hmm. I, I know how this plays out. Um, but the performances are great. Uh, the littlest Skarsgård uh, is very well, and the movie as a whole is very well cast. Like the the casting is very intentional to kind of play with your expectations about the actors, and I always appreciate um, when casting sort of plays around with how you perceive these people. Mm -hmm. The the meta casting, um, yeah, either to go against or to type. Um, mm -hmm. Justin Long, likewise, is wonderful in this movie and gets a scene that is one of the hardest uh, record scratches I've ever experienced <laughs> watching a movie. Uh, number eight is The Northman. This movie is metal as this movie is extremely metal. Yeah, <laughs> the, the three-eyed Bjork witch. Yes, please. Honestly, if there had been about 50% more Bjork, this movie would have been way higher on my list. My <laughs> I, biggest nitpick... I don't disagree. My biggest nitpick about it is that I wanted it to be weirder. I wanted it to be more mystical. Um, but otherwise, we had so much fun watching this movie. Yeah, I had I, a great time. I also love... Who... who Was this A24? Yes. It's the first weird A24 marketing miss where, like... The entire marketing campaign was entirely antithetical to the ethos of the movie. Because uh, the marketing campaign was like, fight your fate or something. And the entire point of the movie is like, you can't fight your fate. You can't outrun it. You have to do what fate says. I also feel like the marketing, the marketing really leaned into the fact that it's a Dave Eggers movie. And that mm -hmm. almost turned me off from it because I did not care for The Witch and I didn't see The Lighthouse. I you would and either hate or enjoy the weirdness of the lighthouse and you would feel strongly about it one way or the other i'm quite sure you, about you, that. you would not be tepid on the lighthouse <laughs> uh my number seven is the menu mm -hmm. which i am prepared now to discuss <laughs> uh so you and marin are going to fight about this one <laughs> so first um i thought the menu was razor sharp so smart this was another one of those like 
some of the funny, some of the hardest I have laughed in a movie theater all year. Um, I thought that Ray Fiennes as the celebrity chef character was incredible. Um, I there was only one scene in it that was kind of a tonal misfire for me, and otherwise, I thought that everything was like taught like a um, taught like a violin string. Um, and I thought that once you hit that final scene, like my jaw was on the floor. I thought it was incredible. Um, everything about this movie really worked for me. You, you don't uh, want to again, go taught been... like an unbroken emulsion. Yeah. <laughs> Hong Chao Hong Chao is a star. She was it just like the visuals of this movie were so on point. Um and I say all of this knowing that in certain respects I'm part of the class that this movie is being mean to. Um I I have certainly never dined in a restaurant that costs $1,500 a head, but I have dined at restaurants like Alinea, which a lot of this movie bases its, borrows for its food styling. Um, But yeah, again, I just had a great time. Everything about this movie worked for me. Um, Nicholas Holt's character, uh, I thought was the perfect amount of just utterly loathsome (laughs) Um, and I, th- I think Anya Taylor-Joy has been great in everything I've seen her in this year. She's great in The Northman. I, I think she's great in Although everything that, I've seen her in, period. Yeah, that relationship in The Northman is just a little weird. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, 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 I thought The Menu was a great time. I generally enjoyed it. Marin, uh, less so, so I'll turn the mic over to Marin. <laughs> oh, I, it did not work for me on any level. I don't think I laughed. You, you would I have sent it back it, to the kitchen. I didn't find it tense or thrilling. I signaled everything it was going to do and then did it. Uh, it made me sympathize with rich people, which I think was the opposite of what it was trying to do, yet somehow it made me do. Uh, I think that it thought it was cleverer than it was. And I also don't think it had anything fresh to say other than some vaguely anti-capitalistic, like, oh, capitalism bad, which is not something, you know, not like something I haven't heard in 15 other movies before. Yeah, I don't know that I would say that it was trying to do something new. I thought that um, execution was kind of what, its end goal was i also don't think that it sets you up to sympathize with the rich people oh i um, absolutely did <laughs> I was... spo- spo- spoiler for the menu when they all died at the end martin was like they didn't need to die <laughs> yeah i was like um i'm sorry this movie has been trying very hard to convince me that they're all bad people and that i shouldn't care that they're dead but it sure didn't <laughs> Oh, see, I actually think that the movie is trying. This is going to sound very, very weird. I think the movie is less about trying to convince you and me as the viewer that they're bad people. And it's trying to convince the characters that they are bad people. So that when the end, so that when the end comes, like their acceptance of the end, I think is such a key point of the movie. Like, their acceptance of what is happening to them is what the movie is about. 
<laughs> no, I think the movie. I think what the movie wants to think it's about is that Anya Taylor Joy gets out, and that she uses their mores against them. But again, at the end of the day, I cool story still murder. And also, we know capitalism is bad, and we know that fancy restaurants are weird. I don't, like, this movie didn't tell me anything I didn't already know. I guess capitalism is bad is kind of, is the point of so much media now that I don't really fault any story for being about that. Yes, it's also accurate. Uh, (laughs) You're not as dialed into foodie culture. Uh, like, I mean, you, like, you know, uh, thinking of the chef's table about Alinea, I think you watch that and you're like, what? This is BS. What are they doing? This is stupid. Is that a fair take? An overly uh, broad no, I, take? No, I would say I'm perfectly aware of foodie culture. Oh, sorry, um, sorry uh, you don't like it. Yeah, and I just don't think, I mean, again, if the point is supposed to be Okay, I'll put it this way. I think what this movie wants to think it is is a clever satire of dining culture that is also kind of a thriller. But at the end of the day, it, like, all the the rich characters within it, they fall short of being an of being a skewering caricature. Maybe the closest is the food critic, but they all there there is none of there's nothing in there which tells me why basically like why i shouldn't care that they all died and why why oh haha foodie culture like being used against them to literally eat the rich. Ho ho ho. Like it it wasn't there was no tension because it was clearly broadcast that that was what was going to happen. I didn't think it was funny, it was just uncomfortable. Oh, I thought it was very funny. <laughs> I th- I thought it was very funny as well. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I think a smarter movie would have picked them all off one by one and made it actually tense. Um, I also think a smarter movie, I mean, especially now with the news that Noma's going to close, mm-hmm. would have actually had something to say about the capitalism of restaurants. Like, huh, do the workers make enough money? Oh, huh, like, what about the prices of inflation? Oh, huh. Like, there was nothing specific about how restaurants... I mean, there were some moments about how restaurants are run and about the fine dining experience, but a lot of it was just, look at these terrible rich people. And at the end of the day, I didn't feel like most of them were that terrible. Yeah, they weren't like stand-up citizens, but they didn't deserve to die. Well... And I was mostly rooting for them to get out. 
the does the deserves it question i i almost kind of don't feel is relevant i i have had this argument with people about the movie midsummer before like arguing about whether or not the boyfriend deserves what happens at the end of midsummer i feel like is beside the point um and i kind of feel like arguing about what happens to the people in the menu if they deserve it is beside the point i think that what the movie is ultimately doing is playing on this concept of celebrity to the point where um like by the end of the movie you understand Ray Fine as this almost cult leader type person so like regardless of whether or not the the rich people deserve what is happening to them it is something that they are choosing to let happen and the movie builds to that choice cuz he comments a couple of times like no one really tried to leave like I I really no. liked this sort of like the social cues element or like the the social script element of the movie like which is exactly what you're saying no one is leaving and like everyone is just following the script until Anya Taylor-Joy like turns it around uses the script to get herself out but she's still following the script of what one does at a restaurant like that you know uh I'm I'm fully in the middle on this movie. I enjoyed it well enough, but it's not near my top ten. And also, I didn't, you know, dislike it. So I well part part of what made me mad is I felt like there was a a, a sharper version of this movie that was possible, and this movie just felt lazy to me. It just felt like it it felt like somebody wrote down on a you know. Whiteboard. Screen. Yeah, thank you. That was what I was looking for. Somebody wrote down on a whiteboard in a writer's room, like, anti-capitalist movies are hot right now. Let's make one about fine dining. And, I don't know. It just did not work for me on any level. I think, well, you know, one... when you consider, like, you always consider, you know, what does a movie, what does a piece of, what does a piece of work set out to do, and is what it wants to, did it do it, and is what did it, is what it did, wanted to do, worth accomplishing. And I would say what the menu was trying to do was worth accomplishing. I don't think it did what it set out to do. Yeah, and I I wonder if you and I are reading its intentions differently, which are just subjective. So one of the things that I think we can all agree on is my number six pick, which is Glass Onion. Yeah! (laughs) This movie was a hoot and a half. the rich movie. This movie was a hoot and a half. I hope that Ryan Johnson makes these until the heat death of the universe. Um, yes. I, th- I thought that it got, I thought that it was not quite as tight as Knives Out. Um, I found the ending of Knives Out to be ultimately a little bit more satisfying. Um, but I thought that this was just super fun from start to finish. Um, I hope Dave Batista gets to play every role that he <laughs> desires. Yes. Yeah. He's going to be in the new Shyamalan movie, which will be interesting to say yeah. the least. I would watch him in a rom-com tomorrow, frankly. He'd probably be good in that, except for he's kind of scary. Just, he's so big. Well, but that's why I think he'd be fun in a rom-com. Yeah. I think if he did, if he was in... You know how, like, LeBron James's role in Trainwreck? If they gave him that type of role in the rom-com, mm. it'd be great. I want him to be the, like, 
substitute teacher or flower shop owner or somebody that runs into the single mom and like wins her over because of Aww. how good he is with her kid. Oh. <laughs> uh my that. number five is Banshees of Inisharan. Um yeah, I thought it was a visual depiction of how it feels emotionally when a friend breaks up with you. Hmm. Like mm-hmm. the things that the characters do in that movie, as we've already talked about, are totally unhinged. But also, I thought were a really interesting and accurate visual representation of like how the emotions that I have gone through when somebody has broken up with me platonically, and I have not understood why. Well, and one thing we haven't talked about yet is that the movie is also about the Irish Civil War, like which is kind of like that's it's set during that time period, and it, that's kind of what it's about, like on top of. On top of platonic, you know, friendships and and breakups and all the rest, uh, which is we were saying earlier, it's a more mature movie than In Bruges, and I think that's one of the elements that there is this like, oh, what is that? Is that metaphorical? Is that like a metaphorical layer to it? If it's also about the Irish Civil War, well, I think layer? it plays. I think you're, I mean, you're looking for a symbolism. All right. Well, and I think that that matters because when you are next door to a war happening. Um, thinking about your own mortality and like the time you have left on this earth and what you're doing with that time makes total sense. Right, totally. But also like even like their relationship and it falling apart like is like mirrors the Civil War. Like they were together, they fought on the same side, they kicked out the like, you know, the not not them too specifically, but you know. The Irish. Yeah, like the Irish, like the, the, the IRA and like the Republicans. They're all on the same side, they kicked out the English, and then they turned on each other. You know, they, they had a breakup themselves, one might say. <laughs> uh, after, after this movie ended, I was like, oh, I want to watch The Wind That Shakes the Barley now. Except for you don't, because remember what happens with fingers <laughs> yeah, in that movie? Yeah, that's two, <laughs> two, two Irish Civil War movies with fingers as a theme. <laughs> Uh, my number four is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which I thought was utterly beautiful. <laughs> and... You headed me off the path by starting it with Guillermo del Toro, so I couldn't jump in and say, oh, you mean the Roger Zemeckis one? Mm-hmm. Uh, I absolutely Which did not. also came out this year, which is <laughs> weird. Um, no, this movie is beautiful. Uh, it is just a really fascinating uh, interpretation of the fairy tale. Um, it takes place during the Italian Civil War. Mm-hmm. Or no, not not Civil War. Um, Just fascism. fascist Italy. Uh, but yeah, and it it I mean the animation is incredible. It's Del Toro continues to be one of the most interesting directors working today. I think the projects he picks are fascinating. I will watch anything that he makes. Um and this I I just thought was truly, truly beautiful and inventive and uh, just a f- truly lovely experience. This is another one that I really wish I'd gotten a chance to see on the big screen, but mm. it was only in like select theaters for 12 minutes. Um, yeah, long enough to be up for Oscar contention and, and not, a, not a minute longer. Correct. Uh, uh, my number three. It's, it's very oh, cute sorry? that he, it's, it's cute that he brings the little Pinocchio doll around. Uh, I know. To the press junkets, yeah. 
there's like a $400 special edition of this movie that you can buy that comes with a little maquette figure of Pinocchio. And you have looked at your bank account thinking to yourself, hmm. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I want it so badly, but no. <laughs> um, my number three is Prey. Uh, Prey would be number one. Except that my my next two movies, I think, are tr- are trying to do something new. Prey is not reinventing the wheel, but I do think it is the perfect vis- version of what it is. Yeah. Um, and it's it got is a good inc- dog. It, it has a great dog. It is an incredible action movie. Um, Amber Midthunder is just wonderful in that lead. Um. But yeah, I think Prey knows exactly what it was put on here to do, on Earth to do, and it executes that flawlessly. Yep, cosine. Um, I was also I was deeply impressed with the fact that it works both as a prequel to the Predator movies, but also just fully on its own. Like you don't have to have knowledge of any of the Predator movies to enjoy this, mm-hmm. um, I, which is hard I to do for I did. for a franchise movie. Yeah. So my number two is Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, which is one of the most movie movies I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good way to describe it. It's every movie. It is every movie. Um, and it only is number two because my number one is the rare movie that is an adaptation of source material that I loved very dearly. Um and is an adaptation that I also truly loved. Um, my number one for the year is Bones and All, uh, which is based on a book by Camille DeAngelis. And it's a book that I have loved for, I think it. I read it in 2016. Um, and I've spent a lot of time trying to get people to read it. And I think that the adaptation is just a beautiful version of the story. Um, it makes some changes because all adaptations do, but I think it sticks to the heart of it, which is this romance between two people who don't believe they deserve romance or like nice things or good things. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a movie about cannibals that also is like delicately wrought and, um, feels very fragile in a lot of places. Like the feelings between uh, the two leads, Lee and Marin. Sorry, Marin. Is it actually pronounced Marin in the movie or is it Marin? I think it's Marin. Okay. Um, But yeah, it's just, it, it feels very delicate. And then they also like eat people. Um, Mark Mark Rylance turns in a performance that makes me want to burn my skin off. He is like, um, just he's creepy. Creep. Yes, okay. it is very. It's like every red flag you've ever experienced. Uh. Um, and it is filmed like it, it is a road trip movie. It is a it is a young adult romance movie. It is a coming of age story. Like it's all of these things, and also, um, it plays with ideas. Like it plays with horror movie tropes, and I love a genre defying um horror movie. So the, yeah, uh, Bones and All. The the Venn diagram you just described, you are in the dead center of all of those circles. So oh yeah, yeah no, I see this why this movie... is your number one. <laughs> 
this this hole was made for me. Like yeah. this this movie. <laughs> also, Timothée Chalamet yes. gets to be my favorite kind of dirtbag. Timothée. Um, uh, yeah. Um, shall we take a quick break and then come back and do the rest of our lists? Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Okay, and we are back from our quick recess. So we are going to continue on. Um, so yes, movies are movies are kind of the easy one. Uh, but we all have other stuff that we enjoyed this year, which we would like to talk about. Uh, Pete, would you like to start with some other stuff that was kind of the, the best of the best of 2022 media? Yeah, that you yeah. enjoyed this year? Yeah, and this is going to be a grab bag. It's mostly TV, but I've got some music and some books. Uh, actually, they're both graphic novels uh, as well. So starting with TV, uh, hey, cuz, don't know if you heard, but there's a show called The Bear. Uh, it's on all three of our lists, spoiler. Uh, and it's maybe the best TV. I mean, there's a lot of really good TV out this year. The Bear was great. And it incepted me so badly that over Christmas break, I went to Johnny's and got myself an Italian beef sandwich. I'm a vegetarian. I had a little meat spring up. Yeah, you are. God, it was delicious. How'd... Oh, it was so, so good. <laughs> how'd, that treat, how'd that treat your insides there? <laughs> Actually, totally fine. I, uh, I went into a bit of a meat coma after I was done, but then, but then the rest of the, rest of the day was fine for the most part. So, yeah. Yeah. Would, would not do regularly. But, you know, I might go back and do it again <laughs> at some point. God, it was so good. Last time I had it, I was in maybe, you know, early high school, middle school. Like, you know, it's been 20 years and the place hasn't changed today. And I don't think they've raised their rates either. So, yeah, uh, the Bears fantastic. Um, then we've got uh, a little Star Wars movie or Star Wars show called Andor, uh, which was absolutely incredible. Um, Top tier Star Wars. We're going to get into this in our next DYDYH episode. Did you do your homework episode? Uh, I'm not putting it as the best Star Wars, but... (laughs) But one 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 might. Yes. One might. Next, I've got an Apple TV. Uh, I've actually got three uh, of my next ones for TV are Apple TV shows. uh, Because Apple TV is just low-key putting out the best television right now. Uh, and that is For All Mankind, a uh, alt-history drama created by... Um, why am I entirely Ronald blanking D. on his Moore? name? Thank you, Ronald D. Moore. Uh, with the premise of, what if the Soviets got to the moon first? Uh, and then, how did society change from there? And it focuses on the NASA astronauts. Um, workplace drama, sci-fi movie historical movie or show it's a show not a movie uh and it's just really good the third season came out this summer uh and martin and i binged the whole dang show this uh these last couple months then i've got uh slow horses another apple tv original uh it's gary oldman and it's a british mi5 spy uh show um gary oldman leads the uh screw up 
department of MI5. Uh, so they're dealing with some spy stuff. Uh, very fun. It, it's a good, if you like your La Carre kind of uh, spy thrillers, this is right up your alley. Um, then I've got Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Uh, we're probably going to be talking about Lord of the Rings much later in this uh, upcoming year. Um, Rings of Power hits all my boxes. I'm that nerd who likes the Silmarillion. They didn't have the rights to the Silmarillion, uh, but they had the appendices, and so they sort of spun off their own story. Um, there were parts of this that worked, parts of it that didn't, but my god, you can see that budget on screen. It looks incredible, uh, and they did a great job at capturing the look and feel of the Jackson Lord of the Rings movies, which is, you know, those movies are great. I love being back in that world, spending time and hanging out. Um, and finally, rounding out my Apple TV TV shows is Severance, the uh, Adam Scott show, a workplace drama about what if you sever your mind so that you got your inside work person and your outside work person and you don't have any memory uh, of the other half. Um, it's, a, it's just a really good psychological, like, horror almost. Like, it starts off as a thriller, increasingly becomes a thriller, psychological horror slash, like, almost corporate espionage show, uh, just really, really masterfully uh, constructed. Yeah, I got to get in on Severance. I yeah. Like, I know don't... you're not an Apple household, but there's a lot on Apple TV that I think both you and Bill would be really into. Well, um, and my sister has given me her Apple Plus login information. Oh. Well, there you um, go. Yeah, we traded for my Shutter info, so. Nice. Um. Yeah, I got it. Everything I've heard about Severance is like, oh, this this is for me. It's actually. fully up your alley. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I think yeah. Bill would. I think you'd both like for all mankind, but I think Bill would really like it. Um, for music, I've got two. Uh, Big Thief's album, Dragon New War Mountain. I believe in you, uh, which is quite the name. Uh, and this is maybe the first time I've ever said it all out loud in once because <laughs> I always just say Dragon Mountain. Dot 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 dot. Um. Big Thief is a is great sort of folky vibe indie music, and this is just a big sprawling album with a ton of bangers on it. Um, it's just put it on, kick back, read a book while you sit on your porch during summertime kind of vibes. Drinking maybe a G and T, maybe some coffee, you know, however you want to do it. Uh, but you're having a good time listening to some fun music hanging out in summer that's and, that's and the vibes come, of this we, album we we come back to pete and vibes yeah a recurring theme of this conversation <laughs> um and then my other uh album that's really been sticking with me is bonnie light horseman's album rolling golden hay uh bonnie light horseman is a basically a folk outfit uh it's Aeneas mitchell and a handful of other people um this is their second album uh and it's it's very good if you like folk Music and Anais Mitchell's voice. Uh, her voice can be a bit of a, you either like it or you don't. Uh, and I really like it. So um, those would be the two uh, albums that are really sticking with me this year. So going with, uh, with uh, to books, or in this case, graphic novels, uh, Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. Long running and then long hiatus graphic novel saga. Saga is back. Uh, the trade paperback volume 10 came out in October which I did not know about until December, in which case I promptly bought it and consumed it instantly, and it's great. We're right back in. Um, 
I've, I've loved Saga from the get-go, and it's just giant and sprawly and messy, and I'm really excited that they're back from their hiatus. Um, I So I read Saga all in one go right after the ninth volume came out. Oh, and then so, it like, and you're yes. like, it's done now. <laughs> so I, I read it all like in the three days before Christmas. And then I was a broken human being. Yeah. Um, I, I knew that it had come back. I did not realize that it had come back to the extent that the 10th trade was out. Yes. Uh, and I have to tell you, I am feeling a little emotionally fragile <laughs> about it right now. <laughs> I'm afraid. <laughs> uh it's a rough i mean like it's it's saga so of course it's gonna be rough um yeah oh yeah right because the ninth ends yeah. the way it does yeah yeah there's yeah. there's a martha i'm with you i have also not <laughs> rushed to jump back in uh yeah. yeah the ninth the ninth volume ended and so did my life <laughs> <laughs> uh well if it makes you feel any better everyone's favorite character lying cat is back so uh so we've got Honestly, that, that does us. that does kind of make me feel bad. yeah everyone's favorite cat that says lying <laughs> um and the last uh thing on my list is a graphic novel it's ducks which is kate beaton's autobiographical graphic novel of uh two years out in the tar sands of uh western canada uh kate beaton webcomic artist got big with um park vagrant which she was doing while working out in the tar sands. Uh, so this is uh, just... It's an incredible, big, difficult book. Uh, it's it's great. It's heart-wrenching. It's on a bunch um, of top yeah. ten lists for a reason. I regret... I have not read it yet. Um, I am a patron of Kate Beaton's on Patreon. Ooh. So I have been enjoying... She's been doing a comic um, on her Patreon about a family um in cape breton and dealing with uh their elderly father and it's sort of semi-autobiographical and also just based on a lot of people that she knows in general mm -hmm. um so I, I don't know that she has plans to collect that into any sort of formal volume but she is a wonderful writer um and yeah i'm i'm looking forward to ducks quite a yeah. bit uh ducks is a tough read so definitely make sure you're in like you know the headspace for it it's it's not like well, oh yeah and again being a patron of hers on patreon like i've gotten to sort of see some of the development stuff for mm. ducks so like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um i know what material she's working with and also i have just read about her talking about the experiences that she had there so yeah um but yeah i'm looking forward to it she's wonderful yeah Marin, would you like to take us through some other stuff that you enjoyed this year? Yeah. So apparently this was Marin's year of TV because, as mentioned, I had a little tougher time coming up with a list of movies, but I did not have a hard time whatsoever coming up with TV shows. Um, so let's strike off the ones Pete already mentioned. Um, the Bear and For All Mankind and Rings of Power um, were all shows I enjoyed very much. Um, apparently. Sticking with my cozy British theme, um, I very much enjoyed All Creatures Great and Small, um, which is a new version of a pretty old book. Um, I think actually it came out in, well, it's about the 30s. I can't remember if it came out during the 30s, you know, if it came out contemporaneously or if it was published a little 
later, but there was a show version of it in the 70s. I remember watching every once in a while. Um, but they're making a new version. It's great. It's mostly a show about lovely people trying to help animals. Um, mostly they succeed in helping animals. Sometimes they don't, and it's devastating. <laughs> Uh, and this is in the British countryside in the 30s. Yeah, so yeah, it's just, yeah, it's also just about, you know, living in a small town, um, and it's a little bit of a fish out of water. It's this uh, urban, Glaswegian, freshly trained vet who has to learn how to live in a small town. He's never lived in a small town. Um, does a little bit of that. But yeah, just a lovely, lovely show. Um, highly recommend. I enjoyed myself greatly. Um, Speaking of lovely show that was just very enjoyable and I think didn't get the love it deserved, um, but Maggie on Hulu, um, and I'm not biased just because there's a pug in it, uh, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, Maggie is about a young psychic um, who um, has a lovely, uh, has a lovely meet cute. Um, but her kind of psychic powers get a little in the way, and I won't spoil. There's kind of a big twist at the end of the first episode that I won't spoil. Um, but it ends up kind of being in the tradition of How I Met Your Mother, a hangout with friends show. Um, and I I think it's one of the more lovely, uh, hangout with friends shows of recent years. Yeah, kind of in the tradition of How I Met Your Mother or New Girl. Um, it just ends up being about these wacky nice people who hang out a bunch and there's a cute little pug and, uh, the main character has, uh, the ability to see the future, which sometimes is fun. Um, so this is the first time I have ever heard of this show and I'm going to be watching it immediately. Please do. (laughs) I will give you a warning. Uh, Hulu has already canceled it and it does end on a cliffhanger. So. Oh my God. I oh know, my god. It's, it's very sad. So I, I do want to give you that knowledge beforehand. Um, I appreciate it. But yes, there's a reason you did not hear about it. Nobody heard about it. It just happened to come up on my like Hulu recommended. And then I watched the preview and there was a pog. And so I was like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> uh, Wouldn't it be great if streaming services like advertised their shows? Yep. Why would like, they do that? Wouldn't that be wouldn't that be nice? I, I right. don't understand why they would do that. Yep. Um, so yeah, Maggie, lovely, lovely, enjoyable show. Did not get the love it deserved. Um, I am very sad that there will be no more of it. It was great. Um, another Hulu show that I only, again, for once, apparently Hulu's algorithm worked for me. A show I think no one is talking about that I kind of enjoyed it i wanted it to work better than it did but i i think what it tried to do is something fresh and original and i think it mostly succeeded um is wedding season um also on hulu which is and i i am not i'm not misspeaking here it is a thriller rom-com um love it love it so far yeah um yeah, I don't, I can't remember how much is revealed in the first episode. Uh, but yeah, on one, on one level, rom-com, guy meets girl. On the other level, there is a thriller shenanigans murder going on. Um, yeah, 
and it was it was very fun. Um, it was a wild ride. Um, and I think, like I said, it it's unique, which is why I wanted to highlight it. Um, and I think I haven't checked if that one's gotten renewed. It actually, unlike Maggie, it does not end on a cliffhanger. I don't think it's spoilers to say. Um, oh no, that's a lie. It kind of does end on a cliffhanger. Never mind. <laughs> Hopefully, it gets renewed. <laughs> um, again, sorry, not th- not to give spoilers. Um, okay, uh, the next one Pete hasn't already talked about, The Gilded Age. I apparently just have Julian Fellow, like, Julian Fellows just apparently has my number, and I will watch and enjoy everything he does, which makes me very mad, because I want to not like it, but then I watch it, and then I just really like it, and, uh, The Gilded Age was no exception. Damn you, Julian Fellows. Um, it real fun. Carrie Coon great. Uh, Carrie Coon really great, yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Cynthia Nixon, great. Um, Christine Baranski, great. I was just about to say, isn't Christine Baranski in that too? Yep. It, it, it great. Gilded Age, great. I, I have the Julian Fellows brainworms. I will, I will watch whatever he puts out into this world forever and hate myself for it. Uh, Gilded Age, great. Can't wait for season two. Also, I have a very hard time watching it because there are many horses and it drives Ozzy nuts. Yeah, that's one that's just a constant barking, uh, b- yeah. barking movie. Yeah, in fact, I might not have finished it. I might have, like, an, an episode or two left. I had to Google what was going to happen because I just couldn't keep watching it with Ozzy barking so much. Yeah, our amazing oh, pug, no. Ozzy barks at the TV when there are other dogs, horses, tense moments, loud sounds, <laughs> uh, people vaguely unhappy, people vaguely happy, uh... <laughs> You when the TV the, is moving. When, when the, the TV, TV is not still, moving. Yeah. It's <laughs> constant. Listen, he has a lot of feelings. He, he really does. does. He really does. And those feelings mostly include bark at horses, bark at other dogs. Yep, which there I mean, are a lot of in the Gilded I've, Age, so. I've seen horses. I get it. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, Gilded Age, great. Very good. Um, My other pick, uh, Dare Girls Season 3. Very good. This is a show that I I truly have to get into. I have no excuse at this point. Have you not watched Dare Girls, like, season one? What? I have not. What? I have not. What? I know. There's no excuse for it. Stop what you're doing right now. Stop the recording right now. Go watch (laughs) Dare Girls. Done. Sorry. Bye, Martha. Talk to you later. Oh, no. I I co-signed Baron on this one. It's so Kicked good. out of my own show. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Um, yeah, Dairy Girl season three, very good. Um, yeah, it is about a group of young women uh, who are going through teenager stuff, and oh, they happen to live in uh, Northern Ireland during the Troubles. And they're Catholic. And they're Catholic. Um, so, yeah, good. Good stuff. Great show. Good. Oh, there's some. This season had some especially great cameos and good episodes. It was a great note to send the show out on. Is this the last one then? Yeah, this is the last, the last season. They they sent the show out right. It was great. Uh, last show I noted, Miss Marvel. Very much enjoyed. Um, lots of fun. Um, oh, yes, yeah. I'm. I'm about to. I'm about to get into Miss Marvel. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> I'll leave that for you. Um, but yeah, very much enjoy Miss Marvel. 
I think that's all the shows I had. Again, this was apparently a TV year for me. Um, books and other stuff. Um, probably my favorite book I read this year is Every Summer After, uh, by Carly Fortune. Um, it was her debut. Um, uh, it was, uh, so I have a catnip of second chance romance books, uh, just constantly drip them into my veins like an IV, uh, and this was one of the best second chance romance books I've read in a long time. Um, fabulous. For listeners who, I feel like this is a version of, uh, so Emily Henry is a very popular mainstream uh, romance novelist with a little bit of a not like other romance novelist vibes, which I don't love, but she wrote a book that was very popular called People We Meet on Vacation. Um, this book is a similar book that does what that book does better. This is anyone nice. who read People We Meet on Vacation, you should read this book. Or if you have to decide between reading these two books, you should read this one instead. Um, good, <laughs> good book. Again, I second chance romance catnip, which leads me into my next one, which is also a second chance romance. Are we surprised? No. Um, and that is Isn't It Romantic uh, by Liza K. Adams, um, which is part of, you don't have to have read the other ones. It does stand on its own. Um, although there is some, you probably get a little more out of it if you've read it. But they they do a good job explaining everything. The premise is a group of dudes who get together and read romance novels so they can be better partners. um, Slash some of them so that they can be good partners once they meet a partner, you know, to prepare themselves to to find a partner. Um, But they have decided that they're going to use romance novels to make themselves better men and partners. And in in the process, become a found family. and each of the books also, in addition to having that plot, is kind of a meta version of a type of a subgenre. Um, so the first one is a marriage in trouble slash sports romance. The second one is a, oh, I always mix this, which was the second and third one up. But one of them is like a, th- a romantic thriller. This one is a historical romance. Um, the main character actually decides he ends up liking romances so much that he becomes a romance writer, and he writes a historical romance. Meanwhile, it is also a second chance romance, and the history in it is it goes back to, um, it does a lot of flashbacks with him and the heroine. Anyway, very good book, very fun, a very like great celebration of the romance genre. Um, isn't it romantic? It's a good one. Uh, the next Wonderful. book, yeah, the lovely, lovely little book. Uh, the next book I read this year that I really enjoyed is called Bad Vibes Only and Other Things I Bring to the Table, uh, by Nora McInerney. Uh, Nora McInerney, uh, within six months, uh, her husband died of cancer. She had a miscarriage, and her dad died of cancer. Um. And so she now hosts a podcast uh, called Terrible Thanks for Asking um, and writes a lot about grief um, and how we view grief in society. Um, This book is a little more, uh, so her her first two books were a little more just straight up memoir. Um, This one's a little, it's a collection of essays. So she she has a lot of thoughts on different topics. Um, Some of them are very funny. Some of them are very moving. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a great group of essays that really made me think 
Um, so yeah, bad bad vibes only uh, by Nora yeah. McInerney. I have heard Nora as a guest star on a podcast that I listen to called Forever Thirty Five. Um, I have not read any of her writing, but she is just a very compelling speaker on the subjects of like grief and grieving and being honest when people ask you how you're doing. <laughs> yeah, and I I would strongly recommend um, no no happy endings. Um, is a book that made me both laugh and laugh until my sides hurt and sob. Um, I think it's available on Hoopla. Um, I think the audiobook is available on Hoopla too. Um, but yeah, she's just a she balances lyricism and humor so well. Um, and her podcast, I I can't listen to it often because I almost inevitably cry every episode. So I have to like sprinkle them, <laughs> sprinkle sure. them out. But yeah, it's it's very powerful. Um, and then to end on, I guess, random things that just brought me joy this year. Uh, while stuck on a plane, I got to listen to to be real meta. I really enjoyed this episode of a podcast I listen to regularly that I love called This at Oscar Buzz, and they did a two-hour deep dive. Into Man in the Iron Mask. I saw it was that movie, episode too. A movie you that I love. One of one of the best movies ever made. <laughs> Undoubtedly. Uh, so it was it was a real delight to listen to two of my po- favorite podcasts. So I was digging to one of my oh a, a movie just very close to my heart, uh, and I, it it brought much joy to a plane ride uh, where normally plane rides have little joy. So, I also put that on there. Uh, and last thing, a uh, comedy special that also brought me much joy. Um, Taylor Tomlinson uh, came out with a new comedy special this year called Look at You. Um, that made me laugh very much. That's on Netflix? It's on Netflix. Fantastic. So, I have one more top ten. <laughs> <laughs> this is my other stuff. Uh, My number 10 is 100 Scariest Horror Movie Moments on Shudder. So when I was um, fresh out of college, right in college, um, Bravo aired a miniseries called The 100 Scariest Movie Moments um, that ran right before Halloween. And it is largely what made horror film accessible to me. Um, it was a special that I was obsessed with for a very long time. Um, it was my go-to like Halloween watching. Um, and yeah, truly it it was like a countdown clip show in the style of those early aughts clip shows where they had, um, some people who were in horror, but mostly just a bunch of random celebrities, whoever they could get to, to talk about horror movies and like why they loved them and why they were important. And I have long lamented the fact that uh, there hasn't been an updated version. And then finally, Shudder produced a, an, a new list. And they um, the people that they get to talk about the movies are mostly like horror creators, actors, um, people who are in the horror cinema world. Um, uh, some of their choices are wild. Um, they had two Mike Flanagan projects on there including a bit from haunting of hill house which is not even a movie um but also both <laughs> both mike point. flanagan both mike flanagan and kate siegel are 
speakers on the show. So I do wonder if those things are related. <laughs> um, but mostly it was just great to have it back. Um, they didn't dump it all at once. They released it in like eight weeks leading up to Halloween. And I love an appointment TV show in this day and age. And it was just, it was great fun. And it was fun to see um, the updates. And I just deeply appreciate them bringing it back. Nice. All right. Um, my number nine is uh, one of two Pokemon games that came out this year. Uh, I'm going with Pokemon Legends Arceus. Uh, this was the first open world Pokemon game uh, to come out. It is a prequel of sorts. Um, and I thought they did some really interesting things with um, kind of building out from your expectations of what a Pokemon game is and can be. I thought the open world format worked really well. Uh, the story is nonsense, but the story <laughs> I mean, kind of no one is matter. ever going. No one is ever going <laughs> to a Pokemon game for the story. Yeah. Um, but they made a couple of quality of life uh, updates that I wish they had kept for the mainline game. Um, one of the big ones being you can sneak around in tall grass and just throw a Pokeball at a Pokemon. You don't have to engage it in battle and there's a chance that you can just catch mm. it. Mm. Um, which I really wish had made the transition to the mainline Scarlet and uh, Violet games um but yeah it was super fun it was the first time in a long time that just the act of catching pokemon was fun again and that has not really been true for me in a mainline game for a while mm -hmm. uh so that was uh that was fun to see i i do hope that they will incorporate some of these things better into the mainline games in the future um Scarlet and Violet have issues. They're pretty fun and keep some of the open world stuff that was so fun in Arceus. But yeah, they're. Yeah, there's a reason I'm going with the uh, the offline <laughs> Pokemon sure. game for my top 10 list. Uh, number eight is Cabinet of Curiosities, which was Guillermo del Toro's uh, anthology show that he produced for Netflix. Thoroughly um, unsurprising, is... you have two Guillermo del Toros on your uh, your, your top tens <laughs> of the year. Very on brand. <laughs> He's fabulous. And honestly, yeah. this is like, Cabinet of Curiosities is, is as good as I wanted the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's eight episodes that are each about an hour long um, and are each like a mini, I mean, they're each like an hour long mini movie. Um, some of them are stronger than others. That's the nature of an anthology show, but the overall experience I thought was really, really great. Uh, and I really just love the idea that Del Toro uses his, um, power as a producer to elevate voices that he thinks are talented. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, my number seven is the Kaiju Preservation Society by John Scalzi. This book came out pretty early in the year is just shy of being a novella it's under 300 pages it is easy breezy and the most fun thing i read all year <laughs> it is thank, thank you for reminding um, me to get the audiobook of this it's so good it is about so the the narrator um gets a job as a basically a research assistant well as as they say in the book uh i don't actually think that scalzi specifies the gender of the 
um, point of view character, which is hmm. a fun thing that he does sometimes. Um, but the the main character gets a job, quote unquote, carrying heavy things um, for a group called the Kaiju Preservation Society, uh, because it turns out that um, up against our universe is a parallel universe where Kaiju live. Um, and when radi the radiation between the two worlds gets too thin, um, the Kaiju Preservation Society is there to make sure that they don't bleed over into our universe. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, it's delightful. <laughs> um, it was one of the first books I read this year and just a really great way to start the year off. Um, my number six is another video game, uh, Persona 5 Royal, which technically is not a video game from this year, but this year is when it ported to the Switch, and I think all games should be on the Switch. <laughs> um, it's a JRPG where you play a high school student who gets involved in this kind of underground superhero type group who go into an alternate reality to quote unquote, change the hearts of evil adults. So adults that are doing their like, I mean, their first target is a teacher who is uh, sexually abusing students. Mm. So basically each each level is kind of set up like a dungeon that you fight through to get to the heart of the person um, and change it to cause them to confess their crimes and actually, like, start to become better people. Was Persona um, 5 the one where it's, like, someone with multiple personalities? And each no. personality has different power? Okay, I'm thinking of a game from think probably that's... 10 years ago. Uh, <laughs> and it might have been called Persona 1. <laughs> it might be 4. There's, I mean, there have been 5 Persona games. Um, but yeah, your Persona is like a spirit that gives you fighting powers, and your character is special because you can collect different Personas. The other people on your team each have the one. Mm. Um, so it's like part um, turn-based fighting and part like Pokemon collection. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is also like, I have realized that my interests in video games lie in either the two to four hour game experience, the eight to 10 hour game experience, or the this is my whole life now experience. The Stardew Valley uh, situation. Yes, and Persona yeah. 5 is a, like, 100-plus hour gaming experience. <laughs> so. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, I've been wanting to play that on the Switch since it came out for the PS4 a couple years ago, so I'm very thrilled that I get to do that now. It is also the most stylish video game I've ever seen. Like, everything about it is just super, super cool looking. It takes place in, like, the Shibuya area of Tokyo, so it's all very, like these teens are way more stylish than I can ever be. <laughs> right. Uh, my number five is Miss Marvel, which is the best show that Marvel has put out. Full stop. The end. <laughs> it's the best one. Um, I think the casting is great. Uh, um, the, the woman who plays Kamala, um, whose name I am looking iman valani is just adorable um she's so instantly charismatic uh the actors who play her parents um 
Zenobia Shroff and I think Mohan Kapoor play her mother and father um, are great. I think the show does a really great job of showing, of giving her parents personality and showing Mm -hmm. their relationship with her, which is one of the things that I loved from the comic is that um, Kamala is a 16 year old uh, Muslim Pakistani teen and all of those things matter. Um, and her relationship with her parents, her relationship to her faith, like these are key things about her and key questions that she grapples with. Um, I think the plot unravels a little bit towards the end. I, I feel like it could have used maybe another episode to kind of focus everything. Um, but I thought it was the most colorful and the most energetic thing that Marvel has put out in a while. And I just really enjoyed from start to finish the whole experience. Uh, I think it's interesting that um, you and Marin both have this as the TV show, and it's the only Marvel property in in any of our top ten lists. Uh, right. Which is so, kind of a statement of uh, you know Marvel Phase Four. Yeah, to to jump ahead a little bit, She Hulk is one of my runner is one of my honorable mentions. Um, I also very much enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. It did not hit quite as hard for me as um Miss Marvel did, but I don't think I watched a Marvel movie this year. Oh no, I saw um Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, mm-hmm. which was fine. I think it ended up kind of in the top third of my full list of movies from this year but i haven't seen wakanda forever yet um i don't know what there, else came there out. were probably three other marvel movies that came out we probably saw them more yeah. and i couldn't tell you what they were uh <laughs> so you know that tells you a lot about phase four um, but yeah, between Miss Marvel and She-Hulk, it really felt like Marvel was starting to figure out what they're doing in the TV space. My number four is The Bear. The Bear rips. Yeah. It's great. No, yeah. Second season is coming this summer. Yeah. Um, We're all so excited. I might watch it again this weekend. Like, it's so good. It's, it's like eight half hour episodes. That's only four hours of content. It's awesome. Um, yeah, but everything about that worked for me. Um, I love to see Oliver Platt working again. Um, I loved Jeremy Allen White. I did not watch Shameless, so I, I was not familiar with him before this show, but I thought he was great. Um, Same. Uh, Iowa Debris, absolutely killing it. Yes. Uh, um, and then whoever plays uh, Cousin Richie. And the, the fellow who plays Marcus and his mm. donuts. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, yes. I really, I truly loved the scene uh, towards the end after he and Carmi have like their big blow up and he storms out and Carmi picks up a piece of the cinnamon roll off the floor and tries it. And from his face, it's just like, ah, dang, this is really good. Yeah, (laughs) yes, yes. Uh, My number three is another book, uh, Seasonal Fears by Shannon McGuire. Uh, Listeners to this podcast will know how much I deeply, deeply love Shannon McGuire. Um, she is extremely prolific and had a couple of things out this year. My favorite was Seasonal Fears, which is the follow-up to her novel Middle Game from a couple of years ago, which continues to be one of, I think, the best urban fantasy books ever written. Uh, Seasonal Fears is sort of a sideways 
sequel. It's a companion novel. You don't have to have read Middle Game to get it. But I think um, reading them side by side sort of makes the experience richer. Um, Pete, you would really love these books. They are all about alchemy. Ooh, and yeah. Okay. Language. Okay. And how language and mathematics drive the world. Um, yeah, sure. Sign, sign me right up. Uh, <laughs> actually, this that seems like very... That would be an interesting companion piece with a fantasy series I've been reading, but uh, the third book came out this year, but I haven't read it yet, so it's not on my list. Um, we'll talk off air about these. These, these could yeah, be an a interesting lot of, sort of double feature. Yeah, a lot of sequels that I was really looking forward to came out this year, and I just didn't get to most of them yet. Um, mm-hmm. But seasonal, seasonal Fears I read on release day. Um, uh, my number two is a video game called Scarlet Hollow. Uh, this is a folk horror visual novel type game that is being released incrementally on Steam. So four chapters out of a planned seven are currently available. Um, it is so fun. Uh, it takes you about four to five hours to play through all four chapters, but the replay value is high. Hmm. When you create when you create a character, you pick two character traits. That are things like keen eye, you're very observant, mystic, you have a sort of sense of the like occult stuff happening, powerful, you're very strong. Like there's like seven or eight key traits and you get to pick two of them. And based on what traits you pick, um, dialogue options open sure. up for you that are not available to other traits. And this is definitely a game where the things that you say and the relationships that you build fundamentally change the things that happen Mm -hmm. in the game. So I currently have, I think, three different saves going on with three different characters, with three different sets of character traits um, who are just experiencing things in wildly different ways. Mm, Um, Interesting. Each... Each chapter has a trait, like, there is a big choice in each chapter, and for each one of those choices, there is a different key trait where you can get kind of the optimal result of that, but it's a different trait for each chapter, so there's no way to kind of get the quote-unquote best outcome for every chapter, but also best is very subjective, like, mm-hmm. um it's not it's not quite as uh transparent as like kill the kitten or save the school bus of children <laughs> like there's a lot of gray um and yeah it's again it's folk horror it takes place in like an east coast mining town or maybe not east coast you're yeah, in the Alicia. woods there's monsters there's monsters in the woods. Your cousin owns a mine. There's a dark family secret. There's lots of stuff going on. And also there are lots of people in the town that you can potentially romance or form relationships with. And it, it is another thing where it's very much like, oh, this was this was designed for me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, it's 20 bucks on Steam. I've been yelling at people to buy it just because it is such a good example of branching storytelling um i could yell about this game forever it's great (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah it's called it's a scarlet hollow is the name of that uh and my number one is andor 
It's Andor. the best Star War. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I have heard from a lot of people that they thought that the first, th- or I've seen a lot of criticism that like the first three episodes move slowly. They do, but I didn't find that to be bad. Same. Um, it's like they, they move slowly, but you know what I like? Hanging out with Diego Luna on a Star War planet. Like, that's yes. fun. Um, but this show is the kind of good, like, Andor is so good, it makes me look at the other Star Wars movies differently. Hmm. Like, I am not going to go so far as to say that it retroactively makes things better. Like, Clone Wars fans will say that about the prequels, and it's just not true. Um, But it did make me think about aspects of the movies. I just rewatched all of the Star Wars movies, and I watched Andor chronologically. Like, I watched them all chronologically. And I watched Andor where it fits in the timeline. And there's so much of what comes after it that I looked at in a different context oh, because whoa, whoa, whoa. So, of what I had well, watched in Andor. I, I, did, I um, didn't realize this. You watched the first three, like the prequel movies, and then yes. Andor, and then Rogue yes. One, and then the rest of them. I didn't realize that, they, that it had slotted in watched... your rewatch in that like way. Like, Rogue One could, I guess, yeah, Rogue One has to go after Andor. Duh, Pete. Yeah, Rogue One goes after Andor. (laughs) I'm just, I'm trying to remember if Andor or Solo comes first. Oh, uh, yeah, Solo, a movie I already forgot about. (laughs) It was better, it was better than I thought that it, it was better than I remembered it being. Mm, mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah, I, I don't I don't remember if Solo goes before or after Andor. It must go before. It's before. It's Solo, Andor, Rogue One. Mm-hmm. And then A New Hope. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if anybody wants to fight with me, I published a ranked list of all the Star Wars movies um, on my tiny letter. Uh, Stop booing me, I'm right. <laughs> um, and the point is... <laughs> That Andor is the best Star Wars, and as long as Lucasfilm keeps putting in robots with anxiety, they will continue to have a boot on my throat with these properties. (laughs) That robot is so... Oh, every time he's on screen, I feel so bad for him. He's the best boy. So yes, we did it. Yes. A couple of honorable mentions for me. She-Hulk, I mentioned... Super fun was one of the first Marvel show or is the first Marvel show. I think that really understands what it means to be a TV show rather than an extended movie. Uh, what we do in the shadows continues to be incredible. <laughs> I kind of don't know what to tell. Like I almost didn't include it on my top 10 because like, if you're not watching it already, I don't know what to say. And it's like, what was you. it on your list last year? Very possibly. <laughs> Probably. Um, Nintendo Switch Online put on Kirby and the Crystal Shards, and I spent a, a solid weekend playing that and reliving my uh, childhood. Oh, was and that? The N64. Uh, oh, that was the 64 Kirby. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then I read two books that are coming out this upcoming year, which actually I read uh, several books that are coming out this upcoming year that I want to mention to people because they slap. Um, a House with Good Bones by T. Kingfisher. Uh, and Sister Maiden Monster by Lucy Snyder. I will put a content warning on Sister Maiden Monster. It is a body horror book that gets rowdy. Mm. Um, but if cosmic horror and body horror are your thing, I cannot recommend it highly enough. 
A House with Good Bones is a Southern Gothic horror book about a haunted house. Good um, title for a I read a lot of about a ha- I read a house. lot of haunted house books this year. <laughs> <laughs> Grady Hendrix also just dropped a new one called How to Sell a Haunted House, which is great fun. That's, that's a great um, name as well. Yes. Um. But yeah, 2022, pretty good year for stuff. I do think it's really interesting that there are a couple of things that none of us had on any of our lists. None of us had the Sandman on our mm. list. And I enjoyed the Sandman plenty, but it kind like I haven't I, watched it yet. I, I enjoyed it, and I kind of didn't even think about it, you know, when I was compiling right, this I list. Um, we just power. we just finished watching His Dark Materials season three, which. Maybe we have a His Dark Materials episode again <laughs> and, and talk about that some more. Yet. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, yeah we, we just started watching the second season of The White Lotus. Mm, um, I, haven't, I haven't watched White Lotus. And none of us had House of the Dragon on our list, oh, which was I another one. House of the Dragon. I do love House of the Dragon. Yeah, you, you're retroactively putting it I on your list. I should probably retroactively <laughs> put it on my list. Yeah. I, uh, uh, a version of the anarchy, but with dragons. Sign me the f- up. Sorry, I, read the- <laughs> I watched. I forgot about the critique. I watched the first episode and was kind of like, I don't think this is for me. We were both very much into it, but Marin way more into it than me, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But medieval yeah. court drama with dragons, <laughs> all the things I like. Um, but yeah. Any closing remarks from people? No. 2022, based, like, in terms of media, I don't know, I think mostly a good year. Uh, we, we had such a weird year. Like, obviously, we took the summer hiatus, and that was partly because all of our lives were going chaotic. So our, our summer was total chaos, and I feel like we didn't do a good job. There were a lot of movies that I wanted to see in theaters that we just never got around to seeing in theaters because the timing didn't work out. Um, and it really did, like, I've long been bullish on the idea that movies should be seen in theaters if possible. Whether it's a big action movie like Top Gun Maverick, which is on none of our lists, even though I know we thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I didn't see it. It, it was fun. It was a lot uh, of fun. Yeah. Um, but, like, that, that is good in a theater. Uh, but also, smaller, like, character movies are good in theaters because it makes you put your phone away and sit down and, and focus on the movie for two hours. Uh, so I guess New Year's resolution, I'm going to try to see more things in theaters. <laughs> yeah, I keep trying to resubscribe to MoviePass, but they're making it really hard. Yeah. So just to wrap up, um, we are going to be proceeding um, in a slightly less... The three of us are working to make our recording and publishing schedule sustainable for all of us. Um, for me, that means recording two podcasts. For Pete, that means editing two podcasts. Um, you know, watching, keeping up with the movies and setting recording dates is hard for all of us. So we are going to be moving to an every other week drop for both of our shows. So every month you will get an episode of Did You Do Your Homework and an episode of Love Ya. And our hope is that even if we are producing slightly less content for you all, 
doing it slightly less frequently will mean that we'll be able to do it more consistently. Uh, and that is what we want for our future and for yours. Yes. <laughs> um, We're also slightly tweaking the format of Did You Do Your Homework? I think we've settled on calling this uh, Did You Do Your Homework Independent Study, right? Or did I just yes. like unilaterally decide that? <laughs> no, we're going to be pre- we're going to be trying some new things out. The first thing we're going to be trying is an independent study format where Pete and I take turns picking something that we want to do a deep dive on. Uh so rather um the hope is that we can really get in depth on uh one or two things rather than trying to spread out uh everything we're doing and really give the material the attention that it deserves. Um, I say all of that, but also the first episode that we will be releasing is going to be a Star Wars conversation. Because <laughs> uh, Martha's got some hot takes, and I want to talk about them. So, yeah, and apparently. also, like, let's—I I agree with a good number of your hot takes, probably. Uh, uh, if anybody, but then there are some. Yeah, if, <laughs> if anybody wants a preview of those, um, you can check out my newsletter, tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha. Uh, where I release an issue whenever I feel like it, and most recently did write-ups on uh, my adventure in rewatching all of Star Wars in chronological order. Um, <laughs> so yeah, our next episode is going to drop on Friday, February 1st, uh, and it will be a giant Star Wars discussion. Oh, this uh, means and I need our... to watch the prequels. What? This means I need to rewatch the prequels. I mean, live your truth, but also if you want to have an honest conversation, yeah. you do need to do that, yes. Yeah. Uh, and then Marin and I will be back in your wonderful ears on February 17th uh, to talk about Your Place or Mine, uh, the new Netflix rom-com starring Reese Witherspoon that will drop on that service on February 10th. Um. Marin and Pete, where can people find you guys when you are not recording with me? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Pico3000. That's P-I-K-O-3000. Yes, I'm still on Twitter. Yes, it's still a dumpster fire. This is fine. Everything's fine. Talking politics and pop culture. Uh, You can also find me on Letterboxd at... P. Romberg, that's P-R-H-O-M-B-E-R-G. Um, Letterboxd is fun. It's not a dumpster fire. Yeah, follow me on Letterboxd. I like to make rank lists, ranked lists, and I like to write reviews that are as pithy as possible. <laughs> I do not like to write <laughs> useful reviews yes, on Letterboxd. Yes, I, I believe everyone I follow tends, tends in that direction, and I appreciate it. Uh, uh, Pete does not. Pete does not give any of his movies star reviews. No, I've started. I've started me. giving them stars. <laughs> I've started giving them stars. Hooray! Peer pressure. <laughs> uh, folks can find me on Twitter at a underscore star underscore dance, where I pretty much just tweet about romance novels. So, if that interests you, feel free to give me a follow. Uh, and you can find me on all the places, including Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Tiny Letter at Magical Martha. Um, my Twitter account was locked for a while. Um, it is not locked anymore, uh, but I do make use of the Twitter circles thing. So if I want to tweet anything incendiary about my place of work, uh, just know that not everyone can see that. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, on Instagram, I mostly tweet or I mostly post photos of my guinea pigs who are very cute. Um, and on Letterboxd, yeah, I, I watch a lot of movies. I put them into ranked lists. Sometimes those ranked lists are nonsense. Um, and I, I, I try to review things, as I said, in the, the pithiest version possible. Uh, that is going to do it for us today. If you are still listening, thank you so much. Um, thank you for sticking with us as we figure out what the future of the show looks like. Uh, and we will be back in a couple of weeks to talk about Star Wars. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, thank you all so much. Um, enjoy doing your homework. Class dismissed. Based on everything I've seen Anya Taylor-Joy in, including New Mutants, I think she's great in everything. I think New Mutants is a train wreck of a movie, but I think she's doing a fine job in it. <laughs> I haven't watched it yet because I know it will break my heart. Oh, it will break your oh, heart so bad. Yeah, yeah. it's no good. <laughs>